Chapter Four of the Egoist. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Geeson. The Egoist by George Meredith. Chapter Four. Letitia Dale. That was another surprise to the county. Let us not inquire into the feelings of patiently starving women. They must obtain some sustenance of their own, since, as you perceive, they live. Evidently they are not in need of a great amount of nourishment, and we may set them down for creatures with a rushlight of animal fire to warm them. They cannot have much vitality who are so little exclamatory. A corresponding sentiment of patient compassion, akin to scorn, is provoked by persons having the opportunity for pathos and declining to use it. The public bosom was open to Letitia for several weeks, and had she run to it to bewail herself, she would have been cherished in thankfulness for a country drama. There would have been a party against her, cold people, critical of her pretensions to rise from an unrecognised sphere to be mistress of Patton Hall, but there would also have been a party against Sir Willoughby, composed of the two or three revolutionists tired of the yoke, which are to be found in England when there is a stir. A larger number of born sympathetics, ever ready to yield the tear for the tear and here and there a Samaritan soul prompt to succour poor humanity in distress. The opportunity passed undramatised. Letitia presented herself at church with a face mildly devout, according to her custom, and she accepted invitations to the hall, she assisted at the reading of Willoughby's letters to his family and fed on dry husks of him, wherein her name was not mentioned. Never one note of the summoning call for pathos did this young lady blow. So very soon the public bosom closed. She had, under the fresh interpretation of affairs, too small a spirit to be Lady Willoughby of Patton. She could not have entertained becomingly. He must have seen that the girl was not the match for him in station, and off he went, to conquer the remainder of a troublesome first attachment, no longer extremely disturbing, to judge from the tenor of his letters. Really incomparable letters! Lady Bush and Mrs. Mountstuart Jenkinson enjoyed a perusal of them. Sir Willoughby appeared as a splendid young representative island lord in these letters to his family, dispatched from the principal cities of the United States of America. He would give them a sketch of our democratic cousins, he said. Such cousins! They might all have been in the Marines. He carried his English standard over that continent and by simply jotting down facts he left an idea of the results of the measurement to his family and friends at home. 
he was an adept in the irony of incongruously grouping the nature of the equality under the stars and stripes was presented in this manner equality reflections came occasionally these cousins of ours are highly amusing i am among the descendants of the roundheads now and then an allusion to old domestic differences in perfect good temper we go on in our way they theirs in the apparent belief that republicanism operates remarkable changes in human nature vernon tries hard to think it does the upper ten of our cousins are the infernal of paris the rest of them is radical england as far as i am acquainted with that section of my country where we compared they were absurd where we contrasted they were monstrous the contrast of vernon's letters with willoughby's was just as extreme you could hardly have taken them for relatives travelling together or vernon whitford for a born and bred englishman the same scenes furnished by these two pens might have been sketched in different hemispheres vernon had no irony he had nothing of willoughby's epistolary creative power which causing his family and friends to exclaim how like him that is conjured them across the broad atlantic to behold and clap hands at his lordliness they saw him distinctly as with the naked eye a word a turn of the pen or a word unsaid offered the picture of him in america japan china australia nay the continent of europe holding an english review of his maker's grotesques vernon seemed a sheepish fellow without stature abroad glad of a compliment grateful for a dinner endeavouring sadly to digest all he saw and heard but one was a pattern the other a whitford one had genius the other pottered after him with the title of student one was the english gentleman wherever he went the other was a new kind of thing nondescript produced in england of late and not likely to come to much good himself or do much good to the country vernon's dancing in america was capitally described by willoughby adieu to our cousins the latter wrote on his voyage to japan i may possibly have had some vogue in their ballrooms and in showing them an english seat on horseback i must resign myself if i have not been popular among them i could not sing their national song if a congery of states be a nation and i must confess i listened with frigid politeness to their singing of it a great people no doubt adieu to them i have had to tear old vernon away he had serious thoughts of settling means to correspond with some of them on the whole forgetting two or more traits of insolence on the part of his hosts which he cited willoughby escaped pretty comfortably 
the president had been consciously or not uncivil but one knew his origin upon these interjections placable flicks of the lionly tail addressed to britannia the ruler who expected him in some mildish way to lash terga cauda in retiring sir willoughby patterne passed from a land of alien manners and ever after he spoke of america respectfully and pensively with a tail tucked in as it were his travels were profitable to himself the fact is that there are cousins who come to greatness and must be pacified or they will prove annoying heaven forfend a collision between cousins willoughby returned to his england after an absence of three years on a fair april morning the last of the month he drove along his park palings and by the luck of things Letitia was the first of his friends whom he met she was crossing from field to field with a band of school children gathering wild flowers for the morrow may-day he sprang to the ground and seized her hand Letitia dale he said he panted your name is sweet english music and you are well the anxious question permitted him to read deeply in her eyes. He found the man he sought there, squeezed him passionately, and let her go, saying, I could not have prayed for a lovelier home scene to welcome me than you and these children flower-gathering. I don't believe in chance. It was decreed that we should meet. Do not you think so? Letitia breathed faintly of her gladness. He begged her to distribute a gold coin among the little ones, asked for the names of some of them, and repeated, Mary, Susan, Charlotte, only the Christian names, pray. Well, my dears, you will bring your garlands to the hall to-morrow morning, and mind early, no slugger-beds to-morrow. I suppose I am browned, Letitia. He smiled in apology for the foreign sun, and murmured with rapture, The green of this English country is unsurpassed. It is wonderful. Leave England and be baked, if you would appreciate it. You can't unless you taste exile as I have done. For how many years? How many? Three, said Letitia. Thirty, said he. It seems to me that length. At least I am immensely older. But looking at you, I could think it less than three. You have not changed. You are absolutely unchanged. I am bound to hope so. I shall see you soon. I have much to talk of, much to tell you. I shall hasten to call on your father. I have specially to speak with him. I... What happiness this is, Letitia! But I must not forget I have a mother. Adieu. For some hours, not for many. He pressed her hand again. He was gone. She dismissed the children to their homes. Plucking primroses was hard labour now 
a dusty business she could have wished that her planet had not descended to earth his presence agitated her so but his enthusiastic patriotism was like a shower that in the spring season of the year sweeps against the hard binding east and melts the air and brings out new colours makes life flow and her thoughts recurred in wonderment to the behaviour of constantia durham that was Letitia's manner of taking up her weakness once more she could almost have reviled the woman who had given this beneficent magician this pathetic exile of the aristocratic sunburned visage and deeply scrutinizing eyes cause for grief how deeply his eyes could read the starveling of patience awoke to the idea of a feast the sense of hunger came with it and hope came and patience fled she would have rejected hope to keep patience nigh her but surely it cannot always be winter said her reasoning blood and we must excuse her as best we can if she was assured by her restored warmth that willoughby came in the order of the revolving seasons marking a long winter past he had specially to speak with her father he had said what could that mean what but she dared not phrase it or view it at their next meeting she was miss dale a week later he was closeted with her father mr dale in the evening of that pregnant day eulogized sir willoughby as a landlord a new lease of the cottage was to be granted him on the old terms he said except that sir willoughby had congratulated him in the possession of an excellent daughter their interview was one of landlord and tenant it appeared and Letitia said so we shall not have to leave the cottage in a tone of satisfaction while she quietly gave a wrench to the neck of the young hope in her breast at night her diary received the line this day i was a fool to-morrow to-morrow and many days afterwards there were dashes instead of words patience travelled back to her sullenly as we must have some kind of food and she had nothing else she took to that and found it drier than of yore it is a composing but a lean dietary the dead are patient and we get a certain likeness to them in feeding on it unintermittingly over long her hollowed cheeks with the fallen leaf in them pleaded against herself to justify her idol for not looking down on one like her she saw him when he was at the hall he did not notice any change he was exceedingly gentle and courteous more than once she discovered his eyes dwelling on her and then he looked hurriedly at his mother and Letitia had to shut her mind from thinking lest thinking should be a sin and hope a guilty spectre but had his mother objected to her 
she could not avoid asking herself his tour of the globe had been undertaken at his mother's desire she was an ambitious lady in failing health and she wished to have him living with her at Patterne, yet seemed to agree that he did wisely to reside in london one day sir willoughby in the quiet manner which was his humour informed her that he had become a country gentleman he had abandoned london he loathed it as the burial-place of the individual man he intended to sit down on his estates and have his cousin vernon whitford to assist him in managing them he said and very amusing was his description of his cousin's shifts to live by literature and add enough to a beggarly income to get his usual two months of the year in the alps previous to his great tour willoughby had spoken of vernon's judgment with derision nor was it entirely unknown that vernon had offended his family pride by some extravagant act but after their return he acknowledged vernon's talents and seemed unable to do without him the new arrangement gave laetitia a companion for her walks pedestrianism was a sour business to willoughby whose exclamation of the word indicated a willingness for any amount of exercise on horseback but she had no horse and so while he hunted Letitia and Vernon walked, and the neighbourhood speculated on the circumstances, until the ladies Eleanor and Isabel Patton engaged her more frequently for carriage exercise, and Sir Willoughby was observed riding beside them. A real and sunny pleasure befell Letitia in the establishment of young Crossjay Patton under her roof the son of the lieutenant now captain of marines a boy of twelve with the sprites of twelve boys in him for whose board and lodgment vernon provided by arrangement with her father vernon was one of your men that have no occupation for their money no bills to pay for repair of their property and are insane to spend he had heard of captain patterne's large family and proposed to have his eldest boy at the hall to teach him but willoughby declined to house the son of such a father predicting that the boy's hair would be red his skin eruptive and his practices detestable so vernon having obtained mr dale's consent to accommodate this youth stalked off to devonport and brought back a rosy-cheeked, round-bodied rogue of a boy, who fell upon meats and puddings and defeated them, with a captivating simplicity in his confession that he had never had enough to eat in his life. He had gone through a training for a plentiful table. At first, after a number of helps, young Crossjay would sit and sigh heavily in contemplation of the unfinished dish. Subsequently, he told his host and hostess that he had two sisters above his own age, and three brothers and two sisters younger than he. "'All hungry,' said the boy. His pathos was most comical. 
it was a good month before he could see pudding taken away from table without a sigh of regret that he could not finish it as deputy for the devonport household the pranks of the little fellow and his revel in a country life and muddy wildness in it amused letitia from morning to night she when she had caught him taught him in the morning vernon favoured by the chase in the afternoon young crossjay would have enlivened any household he was not only indolent he was opposed to the acquisition of knowledge through the medium of books and would say but i don't want to in a tone to make a logician thoughtful nature was very strong in him he had on each return of the hour for instruction to be plucked out of the earth rank of the soil like a root for the exercise of his big round headpiece on those tyrannous puzzles but the habits of birds and the place for their eggs and the management of rabbits and the tickling of fish and poaching joys with combative boys of the district and how to wheedle a cook for a luncheon for a whole day in the rain he soon knew of his great nature his passion for our naval service was a means of screwing his attention to lessons after he had begun to understand that the desert had to be traversed to attain midshipman's rank he boasted ardently of his fighting father and chancing to be near the hall as he was talking to vernon and letitia of his father he propounded a question close to his heart and he put it in these words following my father's the one to lead an army when he paused i say mr whitford sir willoughby's kind to me and gives me crown pieces why wouldn't he see my father and my father came here ten miles in the rain to see him and had to walk ten miles back and sleep at an inn the only answer to be given was that sir willoughby could not have been at home oh my father saw him and sir willoughby said he was not at home the boy replied producing an odd ring in the ear by his repetition of not at home in the same voice as the apology plainly innocent of malice vernon told letitia however that the boy never asked an explanation of sir willoughby unlike the horse of the adage it was easier to compel young crossjay to drink of the waters of instruction than to get him to the brink his heart was not so antagonistic as his nature and by degrees owing to a proper mixture of discipline and cajolery he imbibed he was whistling at the cook's windows after a day of wicked truancy on an april night and reported adventures over the supper supplied to him letitia entered the kitchen with a reproving forefinger he jumped to kiss her and went on chattering of a place fifteen miles distant where he had seen sir willoughby riding with a young lady the impossibility that the boy should have got so far on foot made letitia doubtful of his veracity until she heard that a gentleman had taken him up on the road in a gig 
and had driven him to a farm to show him strings of birds eggs and stuffed birds of every english kind kingfishers yaffles black woodpeckers goat-sucker owls more mouth than head with dusty dark spotted wings like moths all very circumstantial still in spite of his tea at the farm and ride back by rail at the gentleman's expense the tale seemed fictitious to Letitia until Crossjay related how that he had stood to salute on the road to the railway and taken off his cap to Sir Willoughby, and Sir Willoughby had passed him, not noticing him, though the young lady did, and looked back and nodded. The hue of truth was in that picture. Strange eclipse! when the hue of truth comes shadowing over our bright ideal planet it will not seem the planet's fault but truth's reality is the offender delusion our treasure that we are robbed of then begins with us the term of wilful delusion and its necessary accompaniment of the disgust of reality exhausting the heart much more than patient endurance of starvation hints were dropping about the neighbourhood the hedgeways twittered the tree-tops cawed mrs mountstuart jenkinson was loud on the subject patterne is to have a mistress at last you say but there was never a doubt of his marrying he must marry and so long as he does not marry a foreign woman we have no cause to complain he met her at cheriton both were struck at the same moment her father is i hear some sort of learned man money no land no house either i believe people who spend half their time on the continent they are now for a year at upton park the very girl to settle down and entertain when she does think of settling eighteen perfect manners you need not ask if a beauty sir willoughby will have his dues we must teach her to make amends to him but don't listen to lady bush he was too young at twenty-three or twenty-four no young man is ever jilted he is allowed to escape a young man married as a fire-eater bound over to keep the peace if he keeps it he worries it at thirty-one or thirty-two he is ripe for his command because he knows how to bend and sir willoughby is a splendid creature only wanting a wife to complete him for a man like that to go on running about would never do soberly no it would soon be getting ridiculous he has been no worse than other men probably better infinitely more excusable but now we have him and it was time we should i shall see her and study her sharply you may be sure though i fancy i can rely on his judgment in confirmation of the swelling buzz the rev dr middleton and his daughter paid a flying visit to the hall 
where they were seen only by the members of the Patton family. Young Crossjay had a short conversation with Miss Middleton, and ran to the cottage full of her. She loved the navy, and had a merry face. She had a smile of very pleasant humour, according to Vernon. The young lady was outlined to Letitia as tall, elegant, lively, and painted as carrying youth like a flag. With her smile of very pleasant humour, she could not but be winning. Vernon spoke more of her father, a scholar of high repute, happily a scholar of an independent fortune. His maturer recollection of Miss Middleton grew poetic, or he described her in an image to suit a poetic end. She gives you an idea of the mountain echo. Dr. Middleton has one of the grandest heads in England. What is her Christian name? said Letitia. He thought her Christian name was Clara. Letitia went to bed, and walked through the day, conceiving the mountain echo, the swift, wild spirit, Clara by name, sent fleeting on a far half-circle by the voice it is roused to subserve. Sweeter than beautiful, high above drawing-room beauties as the colours of the sky, and if at the same time elegant and of lovable smiling, could a man resist her? To inspire the title of mountain echo in any mind, a young lady must be singularly spiritualized. Her father doted on her, Vernon said. Who would not? It seemed an additional cruelty that the grace of a poetical attractiveness should be round her, for this was robbing Letitia of some of her own little fortune, mystical though that might be. But a man like Sir Willoughby had claims on poetry, possessing as he did every manly grace, and to think that Miss Middleton had won him by virtue of something native to her likewise, though mystically, touched Letitia with a faint sense of relationship to the chosen girl. What is in me he sees on her? It decked her pride to think so, as a wreath on the gravestone. She encouraged her imagination to brood over Clara, and invested her designedly with romantic charms, in spite of pain. The ascetic zealot hugs his share of heaven, most bitter, most blessed, in his hair, shirt, and scourge, and Letitia's happiness was to glorify Clara. Through that chosen rival, through her comprehension of the spirit of Sir Willoughby's choice of one such as Clara, she was linked to him yet. Her mood of ecstatic fidelity was a dangerous exaltation, one that in a desert will distort the brain, and in the world where the idol dwells will put him, should he come nigh, to its own furnace-test and get a clear brain out of a burnt heart. She was frequently at the hall, helping to nurse Lady Patton. Sir Willoughby had hitherto treated her as a dear, insignificant friend, 
to whom it was unnecessary that he should mention the object of his rides to Upton Park. He had, however, in the contemplation of what he was gaining, fallen into anxiety about what he might be losing. She belonged to his brilliant youth, her devotion was the bride of his youth, he was a man who lived backward almost as intensely as in the present, and notwithstanding Letitia's praiseworthy zeal in attending on his mother, he suspected some unfaithfulness hardly without cause she had not looked paler of late her eyes had not reproached him the secret of the old days between them had been as little concealed as it was exposed she might have buried it after the way of woman whose bosoms can be tombs if we and the world allow them to be absolutely sepulchres where you lie dead ghastly even if not dead and horrible to think of, you may be lying cold somewhere in a corner. Even if embalmed, you may not be much visited. And how is the world to know you are embalmed? You are no better than a rotting wretch to the world that does not have peeps of you in the woman's breast, and see lights burning, and an occasional exhibition of the services of worship. There are women, tell us not of her of Ephesus, that have embalmed you, and have quitted the world to keep the tapers alight, and a stranger comes, and they, who have your image before them, will suddenly blow out the vestal flames, and treat you as dust to fatten the garden of their bosoms for a fresh flower of love. Sir Willoughby knew it. He had experience of it in the form of the stranger, and he knew the stranger's feelings towards his predecessor and the lady. He waylaid Letitia to talk of himself and his plans, the project of a run to Italy. Enviable, yes, but in England you live the higher moral life. Italy boasts of sensual beauty, the spiritual is yours. I know Italy well. I have often wished to act as a cicerone to you there. As it is, I suppose I shall be with those who know the land as well as I do, and will not be particularly enthusiastic. If you are what you were. He was guilty of this perplexing twist from one person to another in a sentence more than once. While he talked exclusively of himself, it seemed to her a condescension. In time he talked principally of her, beginning with her admirable care of his mother, and he wished to introduce a Miss Middleton to her. He wanted her opinion of Miss Middleton. He relied on her intuition of character, had never known it err. If I supposed it could err, Miss Dale, I should not be so certain of myself. I am bound up in my good opinion of you, you see. And you must continue the same, or where shall I be?" Thus he was led to dwell upon friendship, and the charm of the friendship of men and women. Platonism, as it was called. I have laughed at it in the world but not in the depth of my heart. 
the world's platonic attachments are laughable enough you have taught me that the ideal of friendship is possible when we find two who are capable of a disinterested esteem the rest of life is duty duty to parents duty to country but friendship is the holiday of those who can be friends wives are plentiful friends are rare i know how rare letitia swallowed her thoughts as they sprang up why was he torturing her to give himself a holiday she could bear to lose him she was used to it and bear his indifference but not that he should disfigure himself it made her poor it was as if he required an oath of her when he said italy but i shall never see a day in italy to compare with the day of my return to england or know a pleasure so exquisite as your welcome of me will you be true to that may i look forward to just another such meeting he pressed her for an answer she gave the best she could he was dissatisfied and to her hearing it was hardly in the tone of manliness that he entreated her to reassure him he womanized his language she had to say i am afraid i cannot undertake to make it an appointment sir willoughby before he recovered his alertness which he did for he was anything but obtuse with the reply you would keep it if you promised and freeze at your post so as accidents happen we must leave it to fate the will's the thing you know my detestation of changes at least i have you for my tenant and wherever i am i see your light at the end of my park neither my father nor i would willingly quit ivy cottage said Letitia. so far then he murmured you will give me a long notice and it must be with my consent if you think of quitting i could almost engage to do that she said you love the place yes i am the most contented of cottagers i believe miss dale it would be well for my happiness were i a cottager that is the dream of the palace but to be one and not to wish to be other is quiet sleep in comparison you paint a cottage in colours that tempt one to run from big houses and households you would run back to them faster sir willoughby you may know me said he bowing and passing on contentedly he stopped but i am not ambitious perhaps you are too proud for ambition sir willoughby you hit me to the life he passed on regretfully clara middleton did not study and know him like letitia dale letitia was left to think it pleased him to play at cat and mouse she had not hit him to the life or she would have marvelled in acknowledging how sincere he was at her next sitting by the bedside of lady patterne she received a certain measure of insight that might have helped her to fathom him if only she could have kept her feelings down 
the old lady was affectionately confidential in talking of her one subject her son and here is another dashing girl my dear she has money and health and beauty and so has he and it appears a fortunate union i hope and pray it may be but we begin to read the world when our eyes grow dim because we read the plain lines and i ask myself whether money and health and beauty on both sides have not been the mutual attraction we tried it before and that girl durham was honest whatever we may call her i should have desired an appreciative thoughtful partner for him a woman of mind with another sort of wealth and beauty she was honest she ran away in time there was a worse thing possible than that and now we have the same chapter and the same kind of person who may not be quite as honest and i shall not see the end of it promise me you will always be good to him my son's friend his egeria he names you be what you were to him when that girl broke his heart and no one not even his mother was allowed to see that he suffered anything comfort him in his sensitiveness willoughby has the most entire faith in you were that destroyed i shudder you are he says and he has often said his image of the constant woman letitia's hearing took in no more she repeated to herself for days his image of the constant woman now when he was a second time forsaking her his praise of her constancy wore the painful ludicrousness of the look of a whimper on the face end of chapter four recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey